Uh, my week overall was pretty good. I was feeling a little under the weather at the middle of the week. I actually took a day off uh, and worked on Friday instead of uh, Wednesday uh, to do that. But there were, I want to give you two kind of peaks into my life to kind of get our message rolling this morning. And you'll understand why uh, after I share these things. The first thing, on Monday, I had the opportunity to go to Detroit. I had some meetings there, and, uh, and then I made my way back to Kalamazoo for, I drove 481 miles in one day, and I was like, oh, th- I would not want to do that all the time. Um, but one of the things I wanted to do in Detroit is to service my watch. And um, um, I've got this watch, and it has a warranty, and if you have it serviced at an authorized service place, um, then it continues the warranty. If you uh, service it otherwise, or if you have someone change the battery that's not, um, you actually can, it will void the warranty. And so you can send it there, but I was like, hey, I'm going to be in Detroit. I'm going to swing in, get that done. And so I did that first thing in the morning. And uh, the, something happened. While the guy is working on my watch, I started looking at all of the other watches that are available and it's kind of like a high-end place you know i mean where i'm looking at some watches that you know i'm not even familiar with the name brands and i'm just looking and the, the guy's like oh well the young lady she'll help you and uh and and to look and you should try some on and i had some questions about watches in general and all of this and so i came home and i started looking online and uh and you know looking on craigslist to see if i could find some of these watches, these name brands, and maybe to buy and sell and to, you know, profit the kingdom of God, you know what I'm saying? And uh, my mind kind of got stirred up in that. And then the second peak into my life is this week, it happens once a year, I got in the mail what is almost as good as gold is the backpacker edition, (laughs) the gear guide, the year's best gear tested and reviewed and I started flipping through, and if you know me, I like to hike and I like to camp, and I asked Jessica about six times this week, can I get some new gear? Can I get some new gear? And, uh, and she kept on saying, no, no, no. And I'm like, oh, what, what in the world? And, um, and I, I, you know, a new tent, a new sleeping bag, some new gadget, something. I, my mind started, and then I was sick and on, on Wednesday, like I said, and I'm saying, I need a pick-me-up, right? And uh, And you say, well, why in the world are you talking about this? Well, this week's message, what I've been studying, is focused on the love of money. And we're going to wrap it with this idea that we need to be content. And I'm saying, this week of all weeks to get this magazine. (laughs) This week to be the week that I, on Monday, am looking and trying on watches that are worth more than my car. Okay, I mean, that's the, the reality. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? And uh, this week, we're going to try to get our mind around this idea of contentment. And I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, and we'll kind of start there. Several months ago, I, I had been reading through First Timothy and spending some time um, really saturating my life uh, in First Timothy, knowing that we we're going to be preaching through this. And as I did on the radio one day, I heard Chip Ingram. How many have heard of Chip Ingram? You hear him on the radio. He was talking, he was doing a series on 
um, how much is enough? And I think the series was called Enough. And I wrote in the side margin of my Bible that when we got to 1 Timothy chapter 6, which we're going to get there in a few minutes, I wanted to go back and to hear his thoughts on contentment. And he was asking the question on the radio, and it was in a few different bits that I heard this, what would it take for you, what would it take for us to really be happy? What would it take for us to really be content? And this is a question that I've wrestled with in my life, to be honest. And I, I've shared this, you know, bits and pieces. If you've tracked with us over the years, you know that this is an issue for me. It's a lesson that I've learned, and then I've had to learn it again. And it kind of has layers of learning. And again, this week, I'm saying, Lord, seriously, you know, I, to put these pieces in my life, and perhaps the Holy Spirit is wanting to get our attention. I mean, my attention again, right? And uh, and it it certainly is an emphasis and i think the holy spirit he orchestrates times in our lives and this could be one of those moments for us to kind of be interrupted and how many are willing to be interrupted if that's what the lord wants right and to just say okay how can we do this and uh, how can we handle contentment and so in philippians chapter 4 hopefully you're there um, we see some verses that are uh super important verse uh Verse 11 says this, I'm not saying this because I am in need. This is Paul thanking uh, the Philippians for the gifts that they'd sent. But he says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, everybody say learned. I have learned the secret of being content in any and in every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then if you just look down at verse 19, and it says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glories in Christ Jesus. And this is the backdrop, that particular set of verses, and we'll, you'll see how it kind of ties together. And the truth is, when we talk about money and when we talk about contentment or the love of money, uh, we understand that Scripture actually has quite a bit to say on the topic. Um, one pastor commentator said uh, that there are uh, those that think a lot about money, and it's estimated, and he didn't uh, give the source of where he found this, but he said there was a, some experts that have researched this, said that the average person think about money 50% of his or her waking time. It, when they're awake, they're thinking about money half of the time. How to get it, how to keep it, how to save it, how to spend it, how to find it. You fill in the blank. And it's very interesting. You think about it. Think about your life. How much time are you preoccupied with stuff or materialism or money in general? And the reality is, if we're honest, Probably all of us at some point, we get caught up in some of these things. Or maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. Uh, but we're not alone. And in Scripture, 1 Timothy, uh, we're studying this. The, the pastor, he was a pastor at Ephesus, and the church at Ephesus was struggling with this area. And we know that Paul, when he's writing this letter, 
uh, these letters to Timothy, he's addressing specific issues, corrective issues, and there was definitely an issue of the love of money within the early church, and I would say that it's equal to the church this day and age, today, and especially the American church, uh, and so there's certainly some things that we can learn. If you boil it down, today is a message about seeking out our hearts, and the attitude of our hearts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, where your treasure is, right, where your money is, that's where your heart will be also. And today, as we focus on the love of money, I'd like to answer three questions uh, in regards to the love of money. Number one, what does the Bible say about money? Number two, what are the dangers of the love of money? We're going to spend some time on this. That, and I like what John MacArthur says. He says, people who love money in order to get money, they will take bribes. They will distort justice. They will uh, manipulate. They will take advantage of the poor. They will lie. They will cheat. They'll exhort or extort. They will de deceive. They'll steal. They'll rob. They'll abuse. They will commit every imaginable sin, fornication, adultery, and think it, uh, whatever it takes to get to gain money. Uh, they will do bodily harm. They will kill for money. They will teach false doctrine for money. And that was happening at Ephesus. Every imaginal category of sin can flow out of a love of money because if you are consumed with the love of money, then that's the driving force of your life. And that's what we want to be aware of. That's what we want to uh, not only be aware of, we want to put some safeguards in our lives to say, okay, if this is an area that we're, we've got to be watchful of, we want to have protection to help us in this because ultimately you cannot serve God and money. That's what the Bible says. So what does the Bible say about money? Uh, and, and then the last thing we're going to do, the third thing is, what is our response in regards to this? And we'll get there in a few minutes here. But let's start by looking at what does the Bible say about money? If you read Scripture, and some of you do on a regular basis, which is awesome, if you were to highlight in your Bible every time money is mentioned, your Bible would be full of, of highlighted marks. The Bible says a lot about money. Sometimes pastors get a bad rap that oh, all they talk about is money. Well, the reality is Jesus, he spoke a lot about money in his earthly ministry as well. God is concerned with how we view money, period. And there are eight principles that I'm going to modify from John MacArthur's work on this uh, to kind of get us going and to talk about this idea, what does the Bible say? And the first idea is this, is that it is not wrong to have money. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8. In Proverbs 8, we see uh, this, it, it says this, actually in verse 20 we'll start, it says, I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of just, justice, bestowing wealth on those who, who love me, and making their treasuries full. There are times when God will pour out his blessings into our lives and fill up our bank accounts. And, and he will pour out material and financial blessings on us. And if that happens in our lives, if that's what God chooses to do, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, that doesn't mean, and I know that some people will take this to an extreme, and I think it can be abusive. It doesn't mean that God wants every believer 
to be a millionaire. And that's just, I don't think that's the case. That's the other side, and you can take it to extreme. But in reality, it is not wrong to have money in itself. The second thing is we do not acquire money on our own. Flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. So uh, heading back towards the beginning of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 acknowledges this. It says, remember the Lord your God. Why? For it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. The ability to produce wealth comes from the Lord. Now, some of you have received an inheritance or you've had an education that has allowed you to make money or your job has caused you to generate income. We must acknowledge that God has provided everything, period, And your ability to produce a paycheck, it comes from the Lord. By the way, when we tithe, when we give back to the Lord, like the Bible describes, we acknowledge this very fact that God, He he helps us. All of our resources are His in general. The third thing is this. We are not to cling to money against God's will. And this is interesting, and I left it in here in this list because it kind of caught my attention. There are some, there are times in our lives where God may want to take money away from you. And I know that could be a, a shock. Sometimes you may lose your resources, and that may be the Lord's will. Certainly look at the, the story of Job. You can look at the story of the rich young ruler. He comes and says, hey, I've uh, uh, obeyed all these commands. What else do I lack? And God said, go and sell everything and give it to the poor. And he walked away and he was miserable. And I don't think he, he, he followed the Lord. In uh, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus with his disciples, uh, the disciples said this, we have left everything to follow you. And there are times when that may be required of us. And it's wrong to cling to assets if God wants you to give them away or to give them up or uh, to allow others to share in those. And God may ask you to step out in faith in this area to give things up for a season. And that is uh, perfectly appropriate for the Lord to do to ask that of us. Number four, we are not to cater to people just because they have money. In James chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we're not going to take the time to look at all these verses. It talks about favoritism. And uh, we are not to give favor to someone that has more resources than some that don't. It is not, uh, we are not to favor the wealthy, according to Scripture. When we look at what the Bible says about money, it's very clear on that topic. How about this? Number five, we are not to be proud about the money that God has given us. Um, in fact, you can turn at this point to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and, uh, in a few verses down from where we're going to be studying today. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, right? We are not to be proud about the money that we have. We're not to be arrogant. God despises the proud, period, right? 
And that's really an important distinction when we talk about money. Number six, we are not to seek out money or seek out riches. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Our priority, and that's where we're going to land today, it really, our priority must be with a God focused in our lives. Number seven, we are not to put our trust in money. Again, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, at the end it says, we're not to be arrogant or to put our hope in money, which is so uncertain, but instead to put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so if our, our priority, our mindset is to be looking at interest rates or looking at our investments all the time or our stocks and we get consumed with that, with our human resources, if we put our trust in the money instead of our Heavenly Father, we are out of balance. And the last thing is this, when we, and this is certainly not exhaustive, but we are not to hoard money selfishly. Proverbs eleven twenty five. you can turn with me there. Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty five says this, says, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will he himself be refreshed. This is not saying that we're, yes, we're not to hoard selfishly. That doesn't mean we can't save for the future, but we do need to take Luke 6, 38 to heart to give to give, and it'll be given to us, back to us. We understand that. Sacrificial giving is a mark of a strong believer. We are to give as the Lord leads us to do so. And I want to say this, you can afford to be generous. And that may look different for each and every person here, but the fact is, is all of us can afford to be generous because it's the antidote of love of money and that brings us to first timothy chapter six and looking at four verses this morning starting in verse uh verse six and we're going to read this here in a moment uh we're, we see this idea of what are the dangers of the love of money and uh, we know that the bible talks a lot about money and the the key uh to this morning is verse number 10. I want to read that, and then actually I want to go ahead, and I know we, that my introduction was kind of long, but let's go ahead and stand to honor God's Word where we're going to be studying today. Uh, I want to read the first part of chapter uh, 6, verse 10, and then I'm going to read it in context. Let's look at verse 10 first. It says, For the love of money is, the, is a root of all kinds of evil. And that's kind of the crux of where we're headed today. But let's start in verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. This morning, as we honor your word, I pray that it would really just jump out at us and help us, God, to be able to apply these things. 
God, I pray that you would uh, just move in our midst in a special way today. We thank you for this, and God, we will give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. So what are the dangers of loving money? There's a few things we want to talk about here, and before I jump into it, I have seen people that have had lots of money that have loved money as well. How many of you can imagine that with me? If you have a lot of money, you can still love money. Or I've also seen people that don't have two cents to rub together that also are afflicted with this love of money. It doesn't matter if you have money or if you don't have money, the love of money or the pursuit of money, it's really based on what you want. Uh, it, it, uh, it can affect anybody at any level, no matter what your bank account looks like. It's based on what you want to have. And it really comes back to this idea of contentment. But the truth is, if you love money, there is a cost associated with that. It could be physical, spiritual, relational. It could happen with our Lord, with, a, with a friends, with family. And so we want to be careful. We want to be aware of some of the dangers. And the first danger is this, is that when someone loves money, they forfeit true gain. Let's look at it, verse 6. Verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. What's truly important in life? If we back up to verse 5, it, it mentions that there were some that thought that godliness was a means to financial gain. And Paul, he takes these two things, spiritual gain and contentment, godliness and contentment, and he puts them together. And when they work together, and that contentment, the idea is a sufficiency, that there's enough. You're seeking nothing more than what you have. When you put that together with godly behavior and godly character, you have a winning combination. If you love money, though, you will never be content. Contentment, which leads to great gain. And ultimately, a contented heart is, uh, gives us the ability to have a close walk with the Lord. Well, pause for a moment. You may be saying to yourself, well, pastor, you, know, you don't know where I am today. Or you don't know where I've been. If you were in my shoes, it would be hard. You would see how hard it is to be content. And I get that. There may be some others who say, well, I would be more content if that bonus came through. Or if I hit the six-figure mark in my salary or whatever the case might be. And the truth is, is I'm not so sure that would provide what you're looking for. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, if you can turn there. In fact, I want everyone to turn there because we're going to go back and forth uh, here in the next couple minutes. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. So you say, well, if I had this or if I had that or if I could just, you know, get to this place, I would be more content. 
the Bible says, no, that is false. Whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with wealth. There's a danger. When someone loves money, they will forfeit true gain. And true gain is that contentment and godliness working together in our lives. The second danger is this, is when someone loves money, their focus is on the temporary. Keep your finger in Ecclesiastes, go back to uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, just do it like this, all right, in your Bible, you can do it like I am, all right, and look at where verse 7 and 8, it says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So this idea that it, if you are focused on money, 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 you are Focus on things that are temporary, not on things that are eternal, things that will last. If you go back to Ecclesiastes 5, verse 15, uh, it talks about the same thing, right? Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. In other words, you cannot take it with you. I, when I was growing up, uh, I used to love monster trucks and uh, I'd like, you know, trucks with big tires and, and wheels. And there was a name brand. Uh, I can't remember if it was Fox or if it was the Fear This. Uh, maybe some of you can, might remember. And there were T-shirts that would say Fear This. And then it would have, you know, it would kind of list different fun things. You, you know what I'm talking about? You remember that? Well, there was a Christian T-shirt that came out at the same time that was kind of had the same look. And it said, He who dies with the most toys still dies. And the reality, that's true, right? You can't take it with you. I've never seen a funeral procession with a U-Haul following behind, right? I mean, they, they don't open up the grave and pour all your stuff with you. You might take something. I, if I die, please don't bury me with this watch, okay? Uh, give it, sell it for missions, okay? That would be good. Someone, we could support a missionary for a long time. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> It talks about the simplicity of life. Verse 8, right? Back in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's stay on, on track here. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that, with the basic necessities. Dave Ramsey talks about the four walls that we need to take care of in our lives, right? Uh, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 11 and 12 says this. says, uh, that our lives become more complicated when we have more stuff. And I even my son and I were talking about this this week, saying, look, the more responsibility that you have or the more things uh, that are on your plate, the more complex our lives are. Look what it says. It says, as goods increase, so does those who consume them, right? And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? Verse 12, the, sleeper, uh, uh, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, right? If you just show up to work and you punch in, punch out, you sleep pretty good, right? Uh, I guess. And it says, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich man prohibits him or permits him no sleep. In other words, the more stuff you have, the more your mind is going to be racing, the more your comp complicated your life is going to be. A simple life is what God really encourages us to embrace. And that can be tough for us in this American culture. 
So there's a, there's a danger there. The third danger is this, is when someone loves money, they will ultimately face loss. Look what it says. Let's continue in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, verse 9. People who want to get rich, they fall into temptation. People who want to get rich, there's a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Ruin and destruction is where you're headed if you love money. You will lose friends and family. You may lose your work. You may lose your ability to think. Uh, it, it dulls your sensibility when you love money. Inevitably, if I can be so frank, I've got it in my notes here, you will do something stupid if you love money. How many have heard of stupid tax, right? You, you pay your, your fair share. I've paid my fair share. Uh, the, the, the greatest example I can come, uh, come up with in my life that Jessica and I, and really it was my fault, and I'll just own it. Uh, back when we lived in Dayton, um, we thought it would be smart. I mean, I can't even imagine that we, that we did this, but we thought it would be smart to take the equity out of our house to buy two more houses for cash, like real cheap houses. So we pulled the equity out of our house and we're paying ourselves back and we were thought we were working with an investor and we thought they said, oh, 60 to 90 days, we'll flip these, we'll rehab them and we'll be back on the way, we'll have our investment back. And I'm telling you, it was one of the stupidest financial decisions we've ever made. It didn't take 60 days or 90 days or even six months. It took a year to get rid of these and I lost sleep. My head, when it hit the pillow, and I've shared this story before, you might remember, I wasn't thinking about my family or about ministry. I was thinking about those stupid homes and how mad I was with the investor that we couldn't get these things sold. But I lost sleep. I lost trust in relationships because I had a partner that also did the same thing. We both took equity out of our homes, and we thought that was a good idea. And uh, we burned bridges. And thankfully, I learned from my mistakes. We haven't done that since. And uh, Lord, help us uh, that we won't do that again. But stupid tax, ultimately, you will do something stupid with money if you love it. It, 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 it blocks your ability to think clearly for short-term gain. The love of money will lead to ruin. Physically, spiritually, it'll plunge you to sink to submerge, to destruction, to ruin and destruction. And then look at verse 10. It says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. That answers the question, why? Why, why will you lead to ruin and destruction? Because love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And you say, it, it, eventually you're going to do something stupid, kind of like Judas, right? You look at Judas and you say he was walking and talking with Jesus. He's seen all these miracles. And for 30 pieces of silver, he's going to betray the Son of God? I mean, how st I mean, in our mental mind, we would say, who would do that, right? But he was, had a love of money. And that was certainly the case. At the end of verse 10, it says this, Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. 
there are people that will walk away from their faith, kind of like Judas. And there will be other examples uh, that, that may come to mind in our, li- in our lives. And it says they walked away from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The idea there in the Greek is a, a, a rod going through an animal to be barbecued over a fire. That they've been pierced through, they've been run through and put over a fire to be burned, right? This is a strong warning for us. We, can, we must be careful. There are dangers all around this idea of loving money. So lastly, I want to kind of look at this idea of what will our decision be in regards to money. And I really hope that this will uh, really stir uh, something inside of you and me. And to answer this question, I thought we could take a little test, and it's a test for you to take. And if you're taking notes, you can kind of uh, jot a yes or a no, uh, or, or maybe um, you know highlight saying, yep, that's me, or no, I don't struggle in this area. Uh, or maybe you can just make a mental note of that. This is a hard question to ask. What will we decide to do with money? And here's the test. Do you love money, number one? You love money if you are willing to sin to obtain it. Dishonest gain, the Bible calls it. If you're willing to cheat on your taxes, and I understand it's tax season, this could hit home right here this morning. If you're going to hide tips or honorariums, or if you're going to cheat on an expense report, or you're going to compromise in some way to get ahead, you may love money. Number two, you love money, or you may love money, if you spend more time thinking about money then you are doing a good job in other words if you're if money consumes your thoughts if you think about money all the time if you get caught up in it how much you're making instead of how the type of work that you're doing uh, if you're more concerned with money than excellence or doing what you're you're called to do uh, you may love money. Number three, you may love money if you never have enough. And this can hit home for, for, uh, for us in our American culture, the idea of how much is enough. And we'll kind of uh, wrap up at, uh, at the end looking at that idea. But when, uh, even when you have extra in the bank or you've got an emergency fund and you still feel or you say things like, I don't have enough, or I don't have enough to do this, or there's fear around your money circumstances, it is possible that you have a love of money. The next one, you may love money if you flaunt it. What you drive, what you wear, kind of the attitude like, look at me, right? If you show off your money in different ways, you may love money number five if uh, you may love money if you have a hard time giving it away if you resent giving if it just kills you to give um, and i'm not just talking about tithes and offerings here but at christmas time if you struggle or birthday times 
If, if to give something away is hard, you may have a love of money. And the warning this morning is this, to beware. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And I want to really close by speaking to the heart here. Uh, to, to really address areas that we may struggle in. And I can certainly uh, be uh, e quick to, to be on the edge in this conversation. If we have a preoccupation and we have this idea that there's never enough and we really struggle with contentment, I believe the Holy Spirit may be trying to get our attention to bring us back to center. Some of you, your home, your apartment, the room where you live, there's a discontentment that's unhealthy. For some of you, the car that you drive, uh, there's a discontentment there. For some of you, you look at your bank account, whether it's large or small, there's a discontentment. Or you look at your stocks, or you look at your retirement account, and there's a discontentment there. Or you look at your job and what you are able to make or your paycheck and there's this idea that there's never enough and you lack contentment in your lives. I really believe this is a word from the Lord that a, a love of money and a discontented heart will keep you from the Lord's blessing. I want to say that again, and I, I kind of highlighted in my notes. A love of money and a discontented heart will keep you from the Lord's blessings. And I, and I love you enough to say that, and, and, and you say, well, well, how much is enough? Well, when Chip Ingram was addressing this in his messages uh, late last year, it was November or December time, uh, he asked the question, what would it take for you to be happy? And I think it's an important question for us to grapple with is it another watch or a nicer watch or a more expensive watch because just to be honest i told my 86 year old friend darl some of you guys know him on sunday night i said hey i'm going to detroit and by the way i'm gonna have my watch serviced and he and he said oh yeah is, that's nice and um and he said well what does that cost and i told him what it costs to have it serviced and he started laughing at me and then he got up, this is an 86-year-old guy, <laughs> he goes to his room and he pulls out his watch, and he says, Ben, <laughs> oh. and, he, and he's laughing at me, laughing at me, my friend. <laughs> and he shows me his watch, and he says, look at this beauty. He says, I bought this six or seven years ago for $12. <laughs> I had the battery placed for $5 about a year ago. Isn't it a beaut? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yes, Daryl, it is. <laughs> but what would it take to be happy? It, I've struggled with shoes, with bikes, with cars. I've struggled with motorcycles, with all kinds of camping gear. I asked my wife this morning, I said, hey, what other kind of things have I struggled with? And I had to stop her. I had to say, okay, that's enough, that's enough. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're having a good laugh at my account. <laughs> but seriously, it's a, it's a big issue. It's really important for us to understand and to get a grasp on this. 
Chip Ingram in that message series, he says there are two historical approaches or solutions to this idea of answering the question, what would make you happy? What would make you content? And this is what he says. He says, on one side, you can conquer and achieve and acquire until you're satisfied. In other words, you can get as much as you can, get more and more and more and more until you're satisfied. And then he goes on to say, which will never happen. It'll never happen. You will never be satisfied in, in this human life if that's your goal, just more and more and more. Or you can desire less and less until it doesn't matter what you have and you have the basic necessities. And we come back to this idea of contentment and godly character being the combination for a satisfied, happy, fulfilled life. Doesn't that sound good? That we would want less and less in life to the point that we're saying, God, ultimately I'm only happy when I'm seeking you. That only God can ultimately fulfill the deep desires, the voids that we might feel we have. Paul understood this. Jesus, our Savior, he understood this when he spoke and he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and then these other things will be added unto you. The message is loud and clear the way I see it. But what will we decide to do? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for orchestrating moments like this where we can really take a hard look and maybe even take this test of contentment and this love of money and really take it to heart. Because what we're talking about is our desire for you. Does it trump anything else? Or are there other things that are idols, that are in the way of us making uh, a future or getting ahead, that consume our thoughts? Is it the next great thing, the next ad that ca captures our attention that's going to make us happy? Or Lord, is our contentment going to rest in who you are? Lord, seek our hearts. Lord, help us examine our hearts this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now, as we are closed here this morning, I want to just give you an opportunity, number one, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I don't know where you are today. You may be here today and you've never accepted the Lord. And uh, that's where true contentment starts is a relationship with Jesus. He comes in, He fills us, He, he overwhelms us uh, with His presence, and He lives inside of us. And if you are here this morning and you say, I mean, I don't have that relationship, I'm not walking with the Lord, I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here today and that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? You can keep your eyes open. Just If you're here today and you say, man, I need the Lord, I need Jesus in my life, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else this morning saying, that's what I need, that's what I desire. I need the Lord to come in. One young lady and anyone else want to join her this morning? 
let's, let's encourage this young lady. Let's, let's just pray this together. Say this after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, come into my life and take away my sins. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Clean me up from the inside out and put my feet on a rock so I can serve you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. And I know that's more of a rededication prayer, and, uh, but we celebrate that, don't we, church? It's so good to have a soft heart to see God moving. And uh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord for that. But I want to kind of end with this, I, this question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning in regards to contentment? In regards to this love of money, what is the Holy Spirit pricking in your heart? And I want to give you just a moment to really just personally for you to kind of spend some time praying, asking the Lord to minister in your life. And so I'm just going to ask you, and I know this is very personal, and so I'm not going to ask you to turn and pray for one another just quite yet. I want you just to bow your head where you are. You may want to turn in your seat and to kind of just uh, pray. And I'm just going to read over a few things here as we close in, in this attitude of prayer that may uh, stir your thinking, stir your mind again uh, from my notes. And I'm just going to ask that the Holy Spirit would seal some of these ideas in your mind. And I pray that you would ask for forgiveness if you need to forgive forgiveness, if, you're, if there's been other things in your life that have taken priority. And, uh, and so let's just spend a few moments pressing in, asking the question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying in this moment? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, speak to us. Lord, speak to us, Lord, this morning. What are you saying to us today? Lord, we don't want to manipulate or take advantage or lie or cheat or deceive or rob or abuse. We don't want to do bodily harm for money or to teach false doctrine. God, we know that every imaginable sin can find its root back to a love of money. God, purify us. Take anything that is not pleasing to you, take it away. Holy Spirit, do a deep work in our hearts and in our lives today. And unto our lives today. Lord, help us not to just dismiss these thoughts, but Lord, help them to be on our hearts this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, there's something powerful about being with others and praying a prayer of blessing over each other. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to get in groups of two and three. And we've been doing this the last couple of weeks. And I want us just to pray a prayer of blessing, to pray a godly character and a contented heart into those that are near you. 
And so if you're there with your families or husbands and wives can turn and uh, let's make sure that there's no one alone. But let's just pray those two things, a godly character and a contented heart. And let's just do that. And we'll do that quickly, take a minute or two, and then I'll I have a final prayer of benediction. And so let's just stand or just turn, however you want to do that. Just take a moment here and then we'll have a final prayer. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. God, we pray blessings into our neighbors, into our loved ones, into our church family. We pray blessings of contentment. We pray godly character. Oh, Lord, I pray. God, I pray that we would seek you first. That there would be nothing keeping you, keeping us from you. Oh, God, I pray. Do the mighty work, God. Do what only you can do, God. I pray that you would help us with the desires that, that capture us, that where we struggle. Lord, we just pray blessings. We pray blessings over our neighbors, over our friends, over our family this morning. We pray blessings over our spouse. God, that you would overwhelm us with goodness, with a happy life, a contented life satisfied with where you have us today. Oh God, I pray. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are enough. Jesus, you are enough. You are enough, Lord. You are enough, God. You're enough, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if you're not standing, I want you just to stand right where you are. If you're still praying, that's okay. I want you just to, I'm going to pray this final prayer, and then we're going to turn and greet one another. Let's pray this together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings. We ask that your hand would be upon us, and again, that you'd go before us and behind us and all around us for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.